Hey, everybody, just before the music and the episode, I just want to let you know that uh, for this episode, uh, in the very beginning, for the first couple of minutes, when my guest starts speaking, his mic is very low. I do end up fixing it in a couple of minutes. So please just stick with it. Uh, his mic is a little low for the first couple of minutes, but then it gets much, much better. Honestly, I, this is one of the most interesting guests I've ever had. He said some of the most powerful, jaw-dropping things uh, about the church, uh, about why we should love the church and not only just love Christ, but love the church as well. Uh, powerful, interesting. Uh, you have to check out his blog. I will put the links to his blog in the show notes on all social media posts. Um, please do me a favor and follow, subscribe, download, rate, and review uh, this podcast and this episode. Uh, every episode now is on YouTube, so you can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Father Paul Hulis on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, um, Apple Podcasts. You could rate, review, uh, but most of all, just share it and do it. Most of all, just pray. Just pray for me. Pray for all the guests and say a prayer for yourself. Um, also, I have an Advent mission uh, next Monday, Monday and Tuesday. Do me a favor. Say some prayers. It's the first time I'm, that I'm ever doing a parish mission on my own. And I would uh, truly appreciate some prayers in the preparation. It's only a couple days away. All right. Not even a two-minute intro. God bless. Stick with it. Powerful. Uncle Matt Laracy. Here we go. Peace. One, two, three. Welcome back. To, uh, <laughs> Welcome back, Holy Vestas, to another episode of A Holy Vest with His Holy Vest, Father Paul. Uh, we are in my studio. We normally don't do episodes live in studio. It's actually easier when I'm in my house and someone else is in their house and we just do it over the internet. But a lot of people say that in studio, in-person interviews are a lot better. The thing is, is that I don't really have like a nice backdrop or like, you know, the, the, the camera abilities to do all this excellent, awesome stuff. I'm still working on that out. So I apologize for the boring background, but the guest that we have today is far from boring. It's not boring at all. So, uh, uncle Matt Laracy, uh, I'm sorry. He's not actually my uncle, but I call him uncle Matt. His name is Matt. Laracy, Matthew Laracy. He's been a good friend of mine for, I'd say, about nine years now. And we're going to get uh, dive deep into a little bit about his life, into the things of the church, theology, and maybe we might uh, talk about some specific stuff. Uh, but Uncle Matt Laracy, I'll tell you in a second why I call him Uncle Matt. Welcome to a Holy Mess podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Paul. <laughs> Oh, this is such a mess. This is such a mess. All right. So, um, Uncle Matt, I call you Uncle Matt because uh, I'm friends with a couple of your nephews. I met you through your nephews, um, uh, Joe Laracy, Danny Peterson, Father Joe. Uh, you've come into my life, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago or so. But I would say that I really started to get to know you uh, and truly became a friend of mine and, and a friend of yours when I was assigned to uh, your parish in Bayonne about nine, eight or nine years ago now. And uh, you were a tremendous uh, 
for support to me, just in friendship. Uh, your faith meant a lot to me. Uh, I look up to you, not just because you're taller than me, um, <laughs> but just because uh, you're a very devout man, a very holy man, very smart man, uh, but a very charitable man. And there's many different things to talk about. Um, but I've been actually wanting you on this podcast for a while. You did make a very brief appearance in my very first ever live episode, which was truly a holy mess, uh, right after Pope Benedict the Sixteenth right. died, right. and I had a bunch of people on, uh, way too many, uh, to offer their thoughts. And you were on. You were a champion. You were very patient, and you offered some beautiful thoughts on that. So, you know, why did I want to have you on? Honestly, because I, I, I think you're a brilliant man. And much smarter than I am, for sure, because sometimes when we're talking, you use words that I really just don't understand. Um, but also funny. I, I would say you're a, a, you're a, a, a man's man. You think I'm funny? I, yeah, funny how? <laughs> funny how? I, I think you're a man's man. You know, I think you're a manly man and a man's man. You know, you. husband, father, grandfather, and uncle. Uncle. Uncle, how many, how many nieces and nephews do you have? Yeah, I haven't counted them in a while. I think it's I think it's about in the uh, about thirty thirty in the area thirty. Okay, yeah. all right. So all right. So for I mean, first and foremost, I mean, uh, where are you from? Like, where, where where were you born? Where were you raised? You know, like uh, let's just start with something easy like that. Okay, uh, raised in Orange, New Jersey. Okay, St. John's Parish. All right. I'm the oldest of nine children. And then I went to Seton Hall Prep in South Orange, South Orange at the time. You're the oldest of nine children. I'm the oldest of nine children. Wow. And I went to Seton Hall Prep in South Orange. And then I went to college seminary, Marinal College Seminary. I wanted to be a Marinal priest at that time. You So at one point in your life, you were thinking about becoming a priest? Yeah, four years of college. I was uh, the tumultuous years, 65 to 69. I was in Marinol College Seminary in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Uh, you, I, so you thought you thought about because obviously you're a married man now, okay? Yes. And um, shout out to your wife, uh, Mary Lynn. Hi, Mary Lynn. Mary Hi, Lynn, hello. How are you? Thank you for letting him be with me today. But like, how'd you grow up? I mean, were you in a very Catholic family, very devout? Like, what made you even think about wanting to become a priest one day? Yeah, it was a, it was a devout. I mean, we prayed the rosary every night, like you know, those were the years. Father Peyton's rosary could save many families, and my mom and dad loved each other. They, um, it was a, it was a kind of a peaceful, happy, but a little boring. Okay. Middle class, you know, urban ethnic. My dad, a, a unit a organizer, so we were classic, like liberal Democrat, urban Irish Catholics. Well, hold on. Are you telling me that at one point in your life you consider yourself a liberal? Yeah, <laughs> that's hard to believe. Yes, we love liberals. We love we I love still, all I, people. We're I, I, I still do actually in some in a certain way, but we won't get too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen. Hey, you know what? There's so much hatred on both sides. We're called to be one. We're called to be one, right? You'd be surprised from that I'm saying that, but it, you don't know me, people. Um, no, but you grew up with great faith. Well, I wouldn't say I had great faith, but I, my parents did. But how did you become the man that you are now? Because I, I know you. I see you as somebody, you know, you're a layman. You're a married man. You're a, a husband. You're a father. Very, very devout Catholic. And not only just a devout Catholic, somebody that goes to church, you know, praises rosary quietly, privately. You're a passionate man. And, you know, you write a blog. You have these excellent articles. You're into theology. How did you become the person who you are now? My my religious life became more intense in early adulthood. We, we, we married, 
at the same time I, I was courting my wife, I was taking theology courses at Woodstock Theology uh, Jesuit in New York City. And there was a, um, I took Avery Dulles, the famous Avery Dulles. Sure, Cardinal Avery Dulles. But yeah. I took this, a really a saintly mystic called Joe, Joe Whalen. And he taught like a course on the Catholic mystics in prayer. Mm. And he, he had done his dissertation on a wonderful theologian named um, Baron von Jugel, largely unknown. But anyway, Joe Whalen was really mystic. And, and he, what I learned from him was if you, to love Christ, you have to love his church. Wow. So Christ loves his church. If you love Christ, you love his church. And he had a huge impact. Why is that? Because a lot of people separate those today. A lot of people say, I love right. Christ. I don't like organized religion. That's right. So what did, what did he have to say about that? And what did you learn from him on that? Why, if you love Christ, you have to love his church? Well, in the one course, the Catholic mystics, he went through, I mean, St. Paul, I mean, Ignatius of Antioch, Ignatius Loyola, Catholic of Siena, Teresa of Avila. And all of them love the church. The saints love the church. Yeah. And uh, and he pulled me, he pulled me deep, much more deeply into my Catholic faith, Joe Whalen, S.J. And Jesuit. Then, and then I right Jesuit. And then, then I made a Corsillo, and I really experienced Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, as God Man. Up to that point, I was quite liberal, like I mentioned. Sort of a low Christology. <clears throat> Jesus Christ was for me a model. Okay. But I didn't really have a sense of him as God and a relationship with him. So you knew about him intellectually, but not personally. Yes. I mean, I, I had the whole, uh, I had a lot of the package, social justice, the sexual morality part, the sacraments. You know, I went to mass always. I never miss a mass on a Sunday. I had the whole package, but I didn't know Jesus personally. And Corsillo, I got to know Jesus personally. And then... Why God was it? Why 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 was that? Corsillo is a is a men's retreat, Corsillo right? Corsillo is a men's. There's men's and women's. It's a four day retreat where you go away and you hear talks by mostly by lay men. Okay, like there are like you know there's lawyers, plumbers, ordinary guys, down earth men. Came out of Spain, I guess in the early fifties, I think, and a lot of people have their lives changed by by Corsillo, and my my life was changed. I had like my Catholic faith. Like I, like I mentioned, I, I had a very large package of it, but the core, the core thing I think that most of my uh, much of my generation, the bone boomers, why in large mass so many of my generation has left the churches, we got the sacraments, we got the morality, we got the social justice, we got the dogmas, we never knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Corsio, Joe Whalen, my family, Joe Whalen, Corsio. <clears throat> Then almost right after that, I got invited in Jersey City, Christ the King, to a charismatic prayer prayer meeting. Okay. So there, my wife and I now were married now, and there, oh, this was a huge. We talked about the liberal thing, so let's get into just this one point. Okay. Yeah. I was a social justice wannabe. I was a liberal. I wanted to serve the poor and change the world. You know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Got it. But I was a failure as a social, social activist. And I, I had this un underlying, steady guilt complex. So I walk into a charismatic meeting in Christ in Jersey City, where I still work there, like around the corner, is where we have our boarding home. Well, why were but you anyway, a failure as a social justice act activist? Well, I, I just didn't have it in me until they go out and organize them. I didn't have that in me. You know? Okay, all right. So 
I always felt a certain fear because I felt like I had been blessed, you know, with a good family and just a safe, happy, and I had to give and I wasn't giving. Got it. And it was like a, a, a sort of a conscientious, um, a minor guilt complex. Sure. And these wonderful women, <clears throat> people of hope, community, they told us, sit back. You're not going to do anything. You don't even have to pray. You can sing along, listen. God's going to bless you. God wants to give you his Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is receive it. And like a light bulb went off, and I said, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> like, I don't have this burden. Yeah. Like white man's burden, you know, like white liberal conscience burden. Okay. To, to, to take care of the poor. And, and then I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the release of the Holy Spirit. And. What year are we talking here? What decade? 1973. Okay. All right. just 50 years. Okay, so you were uh, a college student at the time? Or? No, 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 we were married. Oh, we okay, were, so, okay. We were two years married. Wow, all right, yeah. so in your 20s, yeah. you go on a charismatic 20s, retreat, yeah. and you received, you received the Holy Spirit. That's right. Wow, powerful. It was, it was a powerful change. The gift of tongues, the gift of, like, we would read, like, my wife seemed to have, a, she would open up in readings, would, like, speak right to us. Yeah. And uh, we learned about healing, praying for healing. And you know the good, like the, the glory and praise music, which I love. Yep. And um, prophesying, you know. Now, of course, you received the Holy Spirit at your baptism and your confirmation. But when we talk about um, being baptized in the Spirit, we're we're talking more of of in a sense. I mean, we spoke about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, me and Father Heavy Hercules on the power of the Holy Spirit and you. So you could go back to that episode and reference that if you're not really sure what that means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Obviously, yes, we do receive the Holy Spirit at baptism and confirmation. But this would be maybe just, how would you describe it? Just more of a, maybe just a stirring up of those gifts that are within us, an outpouring of 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 his grace. You know, I, would you know a way to explain what exactly that means to be baptized in the Spirit and receive those gifts? Stirring up is a good word. Release is a good word. Okay. So, yes, we believe as Catholics we receive baptism and confirmation of the Holy Spirit. But I, you, know, you might consider like it's a flame, but, but the flame may be like, like flickering a little bit. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it's not real strong. Okay. But when they prayed over, uh, when, when they prayed over us and we, um, we asked God to give us what you give, give me. What you gave your disciples, your apostles, and Mary at Pentecost. Give me that full blast, the Holy Spirit, that they had, you know. And then you, like, expect it. That's a big thing. The big thing was expecting <clears throat> faith. Like, do you expect God to do great things for you? Yeah. And then you just relax, and, they're, and they're, they're praying, and they're praying in tongues. And then you relax. And then at some point, all of a sudden, you're praying in tongues. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like the fire... There's a fire in you. You've got it from baptism, and there's a seal that can never be removed. But all those things, like it's like somebody threw gas, yeah, and, and dry wood and newspaper, and it was a, over the body, I mean? the soul, the heart, the yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. And then, so then you're like praying in tongues, and um, and you feel you feel God's love. Tongues and, is like a language of the angels, right? Is that how uh, Paul talks about it? It's or it's just this. Almost like this, this. I mean, you're praying. It's a it's a form of prayer, but 
speaking in tongues is it's 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 like you're talking to God, but it's not in any language that you that anybody can understand. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So tongues, you are in control. It's, it's not like something happens to you, like a, like an epileptic fit or something. Sure, yeah. You you start it, uh, but um, it's non-deliberative. It's non-cognitive. It's like you're just praying from your. You're just making nonsense sounds. Yeah. It's like a baby mumbling. So it's coming straight from your heart, and your intention is what you're doing is you're praising God, you're giving Him glory. So you're just making and making sounds. And you're not thinking, you're not processing. Like if I say, Hail Mary, full of grace, I'm forming the words, but I'm praying in tongues. I'll pray in tongues. La 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 yam bandale shi bi di di di. just like praising God and it's just yeah. whatever comes out. But one of the things I like about it is it's like a loss of control. Like an intellect, like I'm a little bit of an intellectual. I like to read and think and write. So for an intellectual person, like your mind controls things. So when you pray in tongues, like your mind is not not part of it. Yeah. Also, when you pray in tongues, it's kind of foolish. So you're sort of like um, you're sort of like casting away. Like I don't need to look impressive. Like you know, because I'm just gonna like like David dancing before the ark. You know, he was foolish. So praying in tongues is sort of like giving glory to God. And you know, what? my social image is in that play here. You know, yeah. I don't care yeah. what anybody's thinking about me. So it's, it's sort of for a guy like me that's a bit of an intellectual, it's a release from the intellect. It's like a healing because your mind is quiet and you're just like singing. It's yeah. like humming, you know? Yeah. You're just humming, humming along. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and if the, 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 some people are like, well, you know, that, that seems weird. I mean, take it up with St. Paul because St. Paul talks about it in the, the letter to the Corinthians and even in the letter to the Romans. He says, you know, we ought, we know not how to pray as we ought, and, but he says, um, I'm going to totally paraphrase here because I can't remember word for word, but basically that the spirit will intercede for us with groanings, right? with, with groanings, you know, and that could be like a form of this, not praying, you know, in our vernacular or whatever, but just with this, this, this longing of the spirit, which could be manifested through groaning, through praying in tongues, through just this, this taken over, this foolishness. It seems like fool, like fool, being fool, fools for Christ. Uh, I remember the first time that I ever received the gift of tongues. It, it was, it, it, it changed my life. It changed my life because I was like, this is like, this is, this is unexplainable of what's happening here, really. This is unfat. I mean, in a certain sense. And so, I, I get it. This is real stuff. This is the real deal. The Holy Spirit is real. The fire of the Holy Spirit is very real. And I think it's manifested in your life in, in many ways. But I love how you talked about how, you know, you are an, an, an intellectual man and you are an academic man. And at the same time, right, you're a prayerful person. And one of the reasons is because of this receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, in a sense, being a, a, a fool for Christ. You didn't say that, but I'll say that about yourself. I know I am. For sure, one hundred percent. I think I think you hit on something there, Father Paul. Control. It's like a, there's a shift in control. It's not that you're out of control. Like there's not some force that's coming into you, but there's a sort of a surrender, and there's a feeling like something else, bigger and better, is at work. You know. Yeah. And 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 uh, and, and another an, an analogy I remember. I remember seeing a movie one time was like a western, and this Indian returned to his tribe and they had been massacred, you know, and everybody, his whole world, I mean, his family, his children, his wife, his people, 
And I was his whole world. And he was in such profound grief. And he just sat there. He's like, he was like, you know, yeah. just a lot. Maybe it was in the Indian language, but it sounded like he was just like making sounds of intense grief. Yeah. Like, like you, know, you can't put that into words. Yeah. You know what I mean? His emotion was so profound, you couldn't put it into words. But I said, he's, he's, he's praying in tongues. Yeah. It wasn't cognitive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't verbal. It wasn't oral. It was like right from the gut, right from the spirit, yeah. from the heart. Yeah, and it's a it's a movement of the heart, you know. Even I mean, sometimes when we're, you know, a lot of people, I they're they're used to us making loud sounds when somebody's crying hysterically, when when like a deep trauma, something happens, and right. the, you know what I mean. We're not crying, talking; we're just yeah. crying, right? But crying. there's times just of, of utter joy sometimes where right, right. maybe we just might start singing or we might even kind of like scream. You know, I remember just, you know, like going to the top, like, you know, getting to the top of this mountain, like mountain climbing out in Arizona, just getting to the top, you know what I mean? And just feeling like so good. So like, you yeah. know, manly just, ah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's yeah. some type of communication. What is it? You know, I mean, we're getting off a little bit from, uh, you know, the, the actual gift of this, the gift of tongues and everything like that. But, um, not everything is up here, right. you know? That's right. Um, that, that, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you were discerning at one point to, to become a priest. Um, you were in the seminary for a couple of years. You eventually discerned that you were called to the married life. Would it, would we say, I mean, do you want to get into that more? Or should we just say, you, you know, you were at one time thinking about becoming a priest and then you thought maybe this might not, might, might not be for me, but I'm still going to love and serve the church. Yeah. As I approached it, as I approached the end of college, I didn't feel comfortable I wasn't so sure. I was very girl shy. Mm. Fascinated with women, but girl shy. Okay. So I got to, I got to mature, you know. I, I heard somebody say, before you can become a priest, you have to be a Christian, and before you become a Christian, you have to be a man. Wow. So I said, I, I've got to just like get my act together a little bit with women, and also I felt like I needed to go out and just work, become a man, make money, spend money date women and i still had a desire i still had a desire there to be a priest so i said this is good i'll go take a couple years it's going to work out one way or the other you know all right so i called up my sister's best friend and i asked her out and that was it <laughs> <laughs> wait that was that's your wife that's my wife my first date your first date i've, I've asked her out i fell in love and we lived happily ever after Wow. I mean, that's that. Oh, actually, I will, I will share something here. We went a couple. I was crazy about her. She really liked me. And But then all of a sudden, it occurred to me, because I was sort of somewhat in this probation period. So I said, wait a minute now. I said, we're really going very quickly into this. Yeah. And she likes me, you know. And so I said, I have to, I have to make up my mind. So I, I prayed about it. And I felt like I was still called to be a priest. Oh, okay. So I said, I'm going to have to break up. Wow. And then I went into what, probably what was the close. I don't get depressed. Uh-huh. I'm not, it's not in my temperament. I'm, a, I'm blessed with a happy temperament, but I got very sad. For about three, three days, I was just like, oh, I was just like down, you know. Then the thought occurred to me. Three days in the tomb. Three days in the tomb, yeah. I think it was about three days. So then it occurred to me, it says, well, this, this doesn't seem right. Like, 
if it's God's will, I shouldn't be like down like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. How would I feel if I, I said, let's do a thought experiment. How would I feel if I decided the other way, get married? And I felt like, like elated with happiness. Mm. Elated. Yeah. And I said, wait a minute. I think that if I'm so happy, maybe that's God's will. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, so sure. So I went that path, and I never regretted it for a minute. It sounds like you were doing some type of like, uh, you know, in the spirit of uh, Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, discernment of spirits. Joined that desolation of constellation. Yeah, major constellation. Major. Major constellation. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I was saying, wow, that it's like, all right, you know, I'm uh, fascinated with women, but girl shy. Uh, I need to mature. I need to become a man. So, you know, let me go out there. Let me try to date. But the first date you ended up marrying. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's great. And how long have you been married now? Uh, 52 years. 50? It'll be 53 in January, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Powerful. Thank how you. many children do you have? Seven children. Seven? Yeah. Wow. And about thirty grandchildren. Uh, Twenty-seven, and there's there's one. God willing. Okay. And 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 let me just say, I mean, your family. I mean, I, I mean, pretty much to me. I mean, not just famous, but you know, infamous in in a great way. The Laracy family, just uh, I, I love them all. I love. I mean, not even if I know every single person individually. Uh, by the way, is infamous only used for like negative things? Yeah, pretty much. All right, then it's not infamous. <laughs> it's now, right. I, I don't know how to speak English, it's okay? okay. Famous. Okay. Forget about infamous. Okay. I love the Laracy, the whole clan, the whole family, the tribe, whatever you, you call it. Uh, impressed with many of you. Uh, love you. I've been uh, blessed to have met, uh, I don't know, maybe almost everybody or whatever. I mean, I've never been invited yeah. to one of your week-long main vacations like some other piece. But anyway, so um, – that was just to make you laugh. Um, I hold no grudge whatsoever. You guys, that's amazing. You have like an amazing family reunion every year. Yeah. Every year. I mean, how many people? Oh, it's up to about one, maybe 150 now. It's up. It's 130, 140, 150. I think it's up there. Wow. And just family members. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, you know, well, the nine of us, we have children and they have their children. Yeah. The three, so it's three generations. Yeah. Because you're one of nine. Yeah. Right, and this is just the Lyracy side we're talking about. Right, powerful. Right, yeah. So, and uh, you even have your own family retreats, right? I mean, that's not very common. That's that's a to me that's an amazing thing. A witness. Sometimes I know that I've come to hear confessions just yes. on a family retreat. Yes, I think that's a great witness. You know, we we hear about people going on retreats and there's these priests, but it's a, like just your family. Hey, we're gonna do this family retreat. You know. That's a very powerful thing. How do you think the faith, not just with you individually, but was really just so contagious and really spread within many of your, you know, I'm not going to speak for every single person. I don't know the faith right. journey of every right. laracy, and we're not going to you know, talk about that on here. But it just seems to me that there are many, many within your family that are faithful, active Catholics. Is that just because of the way that you, that you were all raised? Sure, it was my parents. I mean, it was my parents. They were special people. That was a special, beautiful marriage. Um, but but also the but the whole the whole environment, like my aunts and uncles. Yeah, and of course, you know, um, like like I mentioned, the, the Catholic schools, the parishes. Um, I mean, the environment was all. I mean, it was a Catholic. You know, at, at this stage in the game, I'm seventy six, born nineteen forty seven. I look back that it was kind of a Camelot period, the post-war period, you know, 
45 to 65, those 20 years. Yeah. Because the, the depression was over, the war was over, the men came home. You know, all my uncles served overseas. They all came home. Uh, like my mother was not unique. She was just so happy. She was working in New York during the war. She was a beautiful woman, my wife, uh, my my, uh, my mother, and her sister, my Aunt Marion, kept track. I think she dated during the war something like 74 guys. And obviously she worked in New York. So everybody that knew her was, oh, my nephew's coming home. My son's <laughs> coming home. My brother. So she would go on like one date with these servicemen who were home for, you know, and, 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 uh, but none of it, None of them, you know, caught until my father. Okay. But um, uh, but but um, what was that? What, what was I? He must have been a very special man. Yes. She met so many people, but yeah. him. Yeah. She's he chose she chose him. That's right. He must have been exquisite. So their their date, the way they dated, their date was I think it was Wednesday evenings. What my father would bring his mother and her to the Maracas Metal Novena. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was their date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the faith was all around us. Very know? different from how people date today. Yeah, they usually don't take their dates Mar to, to novenas. Yeah, he took his mother and his girlfriend to the novena. <laughs> so that was that was like a good start, I guess. Hey, that's not a surprise Ed, that so many of you are still faithful uh, practicing uh, to this day. You know, and your family and your faith has been a, a blessing for my own faith. Um, so, all right. So you're a man who loves the church. You're a man who loves Christ. Um, yeah. You're a man who, would you say that, that loves theology? Oh yeah. 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 Why? What do you love about theology? I love theology. Well, I've always loved theology, philosophy. Okay. Uh, culture, study of culture, psychology, all of that. I'm kind of like, I consider myself like an amateur student. Okay. And I have always considered myself, like in terms of profession or career, I like to think that I'm a catechist in the mm -hmm. sense of, because I spend a lot of time teaching. I'm teaching now, I, I'm teaching against sixth grade where I live down Bradley Beach. But a catechist is someone who uh, um, echoes the word, the word catechist comes from Greek word echo. Okay. So to, 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 to catechize is to echo, like to hear the voice of Christ, the word of God, and then echo it. In your words and your thoughts and hopefully in your behavior and your in your in your life. So someone who echoes. So I don't know, just I mean from high school, I was already in high school, I, I just like to read theology and philosophy and psychology and all of that. You know, I'm I mean my mind is I'm always thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, I'm writing a blog, like, well, like about one third of my waking hours, I'm writing my next blog. Like I'll be sitting in mass. And I find myself, I'm writing my next blog, you know. All right. Well, the, or, or I'll read, I'll read something, or you'll say something, and all of a sudden my mind will start going off with something else I read, and something happened when I worked for UPS when I was a kid, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm writing. It's like this is my mind, like I'm always thinking okay. theologically, you know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love theology. Yeah. You love theology. Love do, do you have any particular any uh, uh, theologians that really kind of stuck out and and really influenced you in your thought? Um, and even in your in your own writings. Well, I mentioned Joe Whalen. Yep. And and he and he was on this Baron von Yugo guy who was strangely a modernist. He was one of the leading modernists. In other words, too liberal. But mm -hmm. but he was. They were rebuked by the by the Pope Got in it. the early 1900s 
but he had an influence. And then um, he introduced me to Hans Urs von Balthasar. Yep. He had a, a, Joe Whalen had us read this article, Theology and Sanctity. <clears throat> what von Balthasar said was, theology needs to be done on your knees. Theology is speaking and thinking about God, but it has to come out of a relationship with God. It's not just philosophy, you know, just abstract. And um, what he what he did in this article was what he showed was like, for the first thousand years of the church, the great, you know, and um, Augustine and St. Thomas, Origen, they were all, most of them were saints, many were bishops, men of prayer, and theology came out of prayer. But in the, around the 13th century, there was a divide where the monastic theology became like pious theology and academic theology became more philosophical. Mm. And we got to pull it back. We got to pull theology back into liturgy, prayer, rooted in personal relations with God and also the communal. Yeah. So that was decisive about Baltazar. And then when John Paul became Pope, I went crazy. You went crazy. I went crazy. And Why? I, well, for one thing, um, he was a world-class philosopher and, you know, uh, personalism and phenomenology, modern stuff at the same. He's rooted in St. John of the Cross and St. Thomas, and he's a phenomenologist. Yeah. And then when he started coming out with his theology of the body, it was like, oh, I mean, heaven on earth. Uh, so you got into the theology of the body early on. Oh yeah, in, into his when he was actually given the catechesis. Yeah, I was I was reading it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and it was amazing. So he's my hero. I mean, well, Saint Joseph. Well, Jesus is my hero. Sure. But Saint Joseph is my hero, but John Paul is my hero. Yeah. Um, and then and but then Ratzinger Benedict also, and and so and I got reading Communion magazine, the Communion Journal, which is you know it's it's in this country it's, it comes out of DC John Paul Institute. So David Schindler, uh, David Senior, David L. Schindler uh, passed away recently, but he was this brilliant analyst of American culture. Mm. So he was like a metaphysician and a theologian, but he really could critique America. Okay. What's good, what's bad with America. And he has this son, D.C. Schindler, who's even probably a better metaphysician, brilliant guy. But that whole school of thought they had an immense impact. Like I would read those journals, you know, like I would read like cover. I still do cover to cover. It's called Communio? Communio. Communio. Okay. Yeah. Who started? When did that uh, start? That's totally different from Communion Liberation or, or something like okay, that, right? Good, actually, it's distinct. But the Communion Liberation people are very friendly with the community people. I mean, some of them, like some of the key thinkers down in – Come uh, uh, like Father Antonio Lopez would be one, Father Paul Prosperi. Some of their key theologians down in DC are communion liberation people. So there's a closeness between them. Okay. But what happened was a couple of years after the Vatican Council, I say, I think it was around 68. So there was this journal Concilium, which was the more progressive interpretation of Vatican II. Karl Rahner, Hans Kung, Schillebeeks, these people. So the alternate group that wanted to in, in, interpret Vatican II a little more in continuity with, with the pre-Vatican yeah. Council Church, they got together. It was von Balthasar and Ratzinger, De Lubach, 
I think those are the big three. I think there's another one. John Paul, well, he was a bishop, so he was, but he was he was very much intuitive. He wasn't part of the founders. Sure, but, sure. But his thought. So they started this communio, which is still being published in about six languages. And it's it's serious theology. It's like academic theology. But it's like my heroin. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your heroin, your heroin, your opium. <laughs> it's yeah. my opium. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I probably wouldn't understand a word if I read it, right? Uh, maybe. I think you would. I'd probably need communio for dummies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you ever heard of uh, Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti? Oh, yes. You have heard of him. Of course. And which, was he a part of that or the other? Uh... He was part of communion liberation. Okay. All right. But he, I think he. Um, I'm only recently finding he, out. He was actually, no, you know what? He, um, Albacete, I love Albacete. You do? I want to learn, I, I've been told I need to learn a lot about him. No, you know, he's he's like, you're a maverick priest, he's a maverick monsignor. You keep working, one day you'll be a Maverick Monsignor. Well, because I heard of how much of a mess he was. Yes. And that's why people's, and I heard, like, because I, Christopher West, Dr. Christopher West, was very good friends with him. Uh, Monsignor Albacetti was his professor yeah. down in D.C. And so I was just in France two weeks ago with Christopher West, and he was giving talks on uh, Teresa Lassou. But uh, in the last talk, he spoke a lot about Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti. And almost every single thing that he said about him in terms of like the messiness, I'm like, that's me. Yeah. But what Albacetti right. has that I don't have or that I need a lot more is Albacetti knew deeply, deeply, deeply that he was completely loved by Jesus Christ. In, and he didn't care what anyone thought. And I'm like, I'm a mess, but I need to go much deeper and I need to care a lot less about what you all think and more about what 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 God thinks. And all of a sudden he was hysterical and like an absolute huge character. So I just got his book, uh, The Relevance of the Stars, yeah. um, uh, that and um, uh, some other stuff or whatever. But I eventually want to do an entire episode on the the life and thought of, of Lorenzo Albacetti. He was also personal friends with uh, John Paul II, very close. Uh, I'll share with you some of the stories that Christopher has shared with us, maybe not live right now, but we'll do it on, a, on another episode about Albacete, but hysterical stories about him. I spoke a little bit about him uh, about two episodes ago, but so, uh, but yes. Yeah, so well, you no, know, he actually, yeah. okay. So he was, he was a major leader in the United States of the communal liberation movement, but he also was, I think he was maybe one of the first, or I think he was in charge of the John Paul Institute. He was. In, in, in Pope DC. John Paul II asked him to help start it. Yes. Yeah, he was. So he was, and and then that when um, I think I, I think D.L. Schindler, David L. Schindler, took over after Albacete. Okay. And then I and then I and then he he became he was David Schindler was the editor, and he and he really I mean I think Schindler really brought in heavy heavyweight, yeah, theology. Albacete was a genius. And a, a maverick and a hilarious character, but deceived. But D.L. Schindler brought in like the heavy, the, the heavy. But but Albacete started it. Yeah. 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 So all right. Well, now you, in terms of your work, in terms of your career, what, what did you do for most of your life? In terms okay, of work, so I, I had sort of three professions. Okay. So I um, shortly out of college, I was hired to teach religion. Okay. And the Catholic High School in Jersey City, St. Mary's. I was there four years. Then we started having kids. 
I needed to make better money, so I went and I worked 25 years in UPS, you know, parcel service supervision. Okay, yep. 25 years as most most of it as a supervisor, and then I felt um, like God was calling me out of that, and so I went and I uh, I wanted to do something with boarding home people. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work out. So I went back to teaching religion where I spent six years teaching religion. Again, a very nice high school, Immaculate Conception High School with the Felician Sisters in Lodi. In Lodi. And that was recently. Yeah, well, that was, well, yeah, well, I left out about 15, 14 years, 15 years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Almost 15 years ago. Because then, so I I was uh, teaching religion twice, UPS for 25 years. Then we, I left, and my family and friends, we started a residence for women in Jersey City, low-income women, especially especially special needs women who are dealing with, you know, possibly mental illness or yep. emotional problems. So we did that about 15 years ago. And then we added a second one. And then just a little over a year ago, I handed over that second house to the Archdiocese of Newark, to Mercy House. Yes. So right now I'm still, I'm like half retired, but I'm still the director of a residence for women. So it's three careers. Yeah. So this blog that, that, that you're that this blog that you write, how that start? Because uh, it's uh, would you call it a, a theological blog? Would you call it a, uh, how could we talk about that? That's a good question. Well, there's a lot of theology. There's, there's some politics. There's a lot of culture philosophy. Um, Oh, I know the point I wanted to make. So you're working 25 years in UPS, right? Uh, that, this was the other point I wanted to make. So, uh, which I try to emphasize, regardless of who, who's on my show, especially if they're a lay person. Um, you're working 25 UPS, but you're a faithful Catholic. And again, you're not just somebody that's just going to church and praying the rosary privately. You're a UPS worker 25 years, but you're very, I mean, you're, get, you're involved in, in church and the charismatic movement. You're involved in some serious academic theology, theological discussions. You know, um, you're, you're writing your own blogs. Like you're, you're living in the world, but you're also very much a part of the church. You know, and that's the thing that I, I want people to see more is that, you know, you don't have to just be like a priest or just somebody that's a, you know, teaching in the seminary, you know, you're working for UPS and yet you're really a theologian as well, you know, helping people live in it, you know, creating things like homes for women and, and stuff like that. So I always just try to emphasize that. So people hearing this are like, you know, regardless of what they're doing, if they have to make money to put food on the table, they could always still be so involved in things in the life of the church. So that was the, another main point that I wanted to make. Mm, yeah so but how long ago did you start your blog gee i don't know you, you know what um you know i think happened like okay so all my life i'm always reading and thinking and, and taking courses and um i think it was maybe about 20 years ago i would find uh, the internet uh, and i didn't have a blog but the internet was uh, and i would find myself like two in the morning thinking really writing an essay in my mind i couldn't sleep i would get up and i would write an essay and i used to send out to, <laughs> and those i was just sending it out to all my friends and family you know but then we got a little trouble because it got a little controversial with you know family and friends because i have like my family and friends I'm, it's about half and half you know okay all right so I think it was something about John when John Kerry was running, and you know, somebody wrote something about 
Catholics can't vote for Curry, but yeah, and, and so um, at one point, oh, oh, I know what it was. Yeah, there was a there was a family website. We had a family website, and I would put my essays on my family website. Yeah, family website. We had a family website. I've never heard I, of that before. I think so. I would put my essays on there. So the one one time I wrote when my my sisters got mad. So my my mother excommunicated me from the family website. <laughs> <laughs> You're off the family website. Right. Oh, she's the matriarch. She's she the matriarch. She was on one, yeah. So I'm off the family website. But anyway, <laughs> so but but um, because you were probably saying something about. Well, I'm, I'm more, well, it was more on the conservative side. For yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure so yeah. um, so I, I'm off the family website, and then when I found out about blogs, they just started writing my blog. Yeah, because I love it. Like I love my blog. I just like I think things out, and I throw them on the blog, and. I don't know who reads it, but it's there. Anybody can read it if they want to read it, you know? What's the name of it? Fleckenstein. Fleckenstein.blogspot.com. Fleckenstein.blogspot.com. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But what? why the name? What's Fleckenstein? Okay, that's another funny story. Okay, when I was in college, I was just um, uh, uh, I was just crazy about books. All I did was read all the time. I mean, other guys would be playing, you know, basketball, you know. It's probably why you didn't know any women. Yeah, that. Well, none of us do. We're in the seminar. But anyway, there was this big, <laughs> there was this big uh, philosophy reading room, mm -hmm. airy and dusty, with sunny, with big windows and big tombs of philosophy, and nobody ever went in there except me. It was called the Fleckenstein Philosophy Reading Room. So my classmates nicknamed me Fleckenstein. That was what they called me, Fleck or Fleckenstein, because I, 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 I'd be there all by myself. Nobody went in there. Turns out Fleckenstein was named after a father Fleckenstein. Sounds Jewish, which I like, because I'm very interested in Jews and Judaism. That's good. But it's, but it's um, it turns out he was a, a marital priest philosopher who died just like two or three years before I got to that college. He was dean of men and philosopher, very good man. And he died tragically in a swimming, drowning act. I think he was trying to rescue his brother. Oh, my gosh. So he was like a young, like 30-year-old, marinal philosopher, dean of discipline. And the, the philosophy was named after him. So I like to have this, like, robe of Father Fleckenstein. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, Did he save his brother, by the way? No, they both died. They both died. Yeah. I only read about that many years oh later. My, oh my! So that's the story about Fleckenstein. And you write about anything about you know? Uh, a lot, a lot of it has to do with the church culture. Okay. Some, some stuff about politics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's excellent. By the way, you know, I don't read every every single one. I should read more, but um, when I do read, I, I get a lot out of it. And I, I, I love your personality through it too. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so, all right. So, listen, we talked a lot about. about you, your life, uh, probably more than you wanted me to. Uh, I, like I said, I didn't really prepare for these things. I think you're great, interesting character, uh, and, and your life in general. I think it's important to know about people. I just love learning more about people and people learning about people. But let's talk about the church in particular. Um, there's a couple things that you suggested that maybe we focus on. Uh, you know, maybe uh, church in crisis, maybe the crisis of masculinity, um, you know, and we prayed for the Holy Spirit, wherever this is going to go is going to go. But if you had to focus on one or two things, just to get into a conversation with the time that we have left, um, you know, wh where would you really like to go with this? I mean, what I, you're a man who loves the Catholic church, devoted, um, faithful, um, 
but it doesn't mean just because we're de faithful, devoted people doesn't mean that we necessarily have to like every single thing that's going on. We could have opinions. We could have open, charitable dialogue, even disagreements. Um, there's a crisis in our world. There's a crisis in our church. Um, so what's particularly on your heart and your mind about that? It, you know, if we focus on one or two things that maybe we could really talk about to help benefit our listeners. Well, I would like to start off with a holy mess. I like this holy mess theme. Okay. That you have, that you have holy mess, this holy mess. Because we are a mess, and that's where it all starts with is sin. You know, we're in sin. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. Yeah. And um, so I have a lot of hope for the church, even though... You know, like I meant, we mentioned earlier, in the 50s when I was growing up, compared to today, the numbers, vocations are down, schools are closing. You know, I, I mean, we are, a, we are a mess. Compared to when I was growing up, our church now is a horrendous mess. But I have a, I have a lot of hope. I, I'm, I'm not down on the church. I have a lot of hope. And I was thinking about this, and... Um, so in high school, the one thing I think I, I think I learned one thing in high school religion. So one day, I think it was Monsignor Tui who was the headmaster, big tall senior hall prep. This maybe 1964, 63. He came into a religion class, and he was a uh, very intimidating. I think he was ex-marine. You know, you would never mess with this guy, Monsignor Tui. So he says to us, "How would you feel if you found that your mother was a whore?" We're like 17-year-old kids, you know, 16-year-old kids. And I remember sitting there. I mean, nobody said a word. You would never say a word to this guy. Like, that's disgusting. That's, that's what you're thinking to yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's, why would you even say such a thing? I mean, that's disgusting. So then he lets us sit and he says, you would feel disgusted, ashamed, pretty soon angry, disgusted again, ashamed. Very paced, you know, very effective. He's a very impressive man, smart man. And then he pauses and he says, you know, yeah, yeah, disgusted, ashamed, so embarrassed, angry. Then he says, at the end of the day, she's your mother, no matter what she is. She gave you life. She's your mother. No matter what she is or who she is, you love your mother. You're going to love your mother. So he lets that sit. So, you know, you, you sort of let that, and after a few minutes, you say, well, yeah, she is my mother. And then he says, I have to tell you, it, the church is your mother. The church is your second mother, your spiritual mother. I have to tell you something. The church is a whore. The church is a prostitute. The church is unfaithful. Priests, bishops, popes, the church, we're all sinners, we're all unfaithful. And your mother of the church is a whore. Your mother of the church is divine. You know, the Holy Spirit, Christ is in, in the Blessed Mother, of course, and the saints. But when it comes to everybody else, the priests, bishops, a lot of them are whores. But the church is your mother. And you've got nowhere else to go. And at the end of the day, you got to... Well, I always remember that. That's the one thing I remember from high school religion. It's, you know, prep. <laughs> so through the years, as I, I, everything I've learned, you know, various heroes I've had, you know, and then you find out, oh, no, he, he did that. The wow. pre-sex scandal. Wow. 
I think I was immunized against scandal. Because of that? Because of that priest. And wow. then also at that time when I was in high school, I was reading a lot of fiction and I, I really liked the genre. There was a lot of, of classic Catholic novels about flawed sinful priests. I mean, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene, classic. Even Monsignor Kelly by Graham Greene. There was an edge of sadness about an alcoholic priest. Um, there was a book, The Keys of the Kingdom, about, well, he was, he was like a humble, holy priest laboring in China with no converts, you know. Diary of a Country Priest. So I used to read these novels when I was a high school kid about priests who were like, like the whiskey priests who fathered a child. You yeah. Know? And he dies a martyr in Mexico. Wow. And like the Graham Green, I call myself like Graham Green Catholicism is this sort of a cynical. Now I was an innocent kid, naive kid, and I was very protected. But I learned a lot about the world and the and evil and sin in, in church. So I think I inbreathed a sort of a Graham Green sophisticated cynicism that the hierarchy and the priests are sinners too. And so they're a holy mess, you know? The priests are a holy mess. So it doesn't, never shock me and it never surprised me. And as you know, like I wrote a blog about maverick priests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, I like maverick priests. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, I, why? Seem to, I seem to always like meet them and they like me, you know? And a lot of times they have problems. It may be alcohol. It may be anything. But um, they don't fit in. It's not your standard, you know, parish priest. It's not your bureaucrat. It's, you know, it's the oddball. <laughs> you're, at the you're at the top. Am of the I list. one of them? You're, you're at the top of the list. I'm at the top. I'm yeah. at the top of the list. All right. I'll take that. I'll you're, take way up, you're way up there of, of my favorite. I'm, I mean, they're like, you know, you. as I brought, I think you would. They're usually eccentric, okay. funny, smart intuitive, offbeat, sometimes like a headache to the bishop or the cardinal or whatever. And, uh, but very interesting. And I, I, and I learn a lot. I'm like, I have a whole list of them. And I learned it because they're looking at things from a different angle. You know what I mean? They're, they're not like straight edge, they're straight edges. They're coming from a different end. And they usually have a deep um, faith. But they're different. I mean, I have a whole list of them. I, I, I brought a whole list of them, you know. I probably have about 10, no, 10, closer to 15 pretty good friends that are maverick priests. Is that because uh, why are why do they attract themselves to you or you to them? Are you a bit of a maverick yourself? I guess so. Yeah? I'm a little bit offbeat. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of offbeat. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm like... I mean, you got excommunicated from your own family's <laughs> website, so... I think that that might be, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that, yeah. You know what? I've never, it's, it's rare that I'm, I'm without speech. Right. Or, but that, that analogy that your, um, religion teacher taught, was he a priest himself? Yeah. He said Monsignor, the church, Monsignor Tui. yeah, the church is a whore, but she's your mother and you love your you mother. Love, and you that helped you to, in a sense, be immune from scandal. I think, and then Joe Whalen, of course, told me with this, all the Catholics, you know, you love the church, you know. Wow. I mean, the priest is a whiskey priest. The priest is, a, yeah. Father Burke, when I was growing up in Orange, New Jersey, all the years I was growing up, grammar school into high school, uh -huh. our pastor was Father John Burke. He was never around. I was an altar boy, so I was over there. He was never around. And when he, every, every few months, he would show up 
and he would have like a cape on. He looked like something out of uh, Phantom of the Opera. And he'd swoon around and he, he wouldn't talk. He wouldn't, I never remember him saying mass. He wouldn't even stop and say hello. He'd run around like a very eccentric, odd character. Okay. So I remember hearing something about alcohol. My parents never said anything bad. Yeah. But um, so the point is, in that parish, that was a thriving parish. Like we had the sisters, the brothers, these these good priests. And so I mean, baptisms, weddings, people were buried, people were living lives of holiness, praying the rosary, the sacraments, catechesis going on, vocations coming out of this parish. A number of bishops came from that parish. Um, but the pastor is a complete no-show, dysfunctional. So I, I I take out of that what I call my Father Burke principle, which is you can have a bad pastor, bishop, even a bad pope. Don't worry about it. Father Burke principle is the church goes on. There's holy lay people. There's, there's Christian brothers teaching the boys. Wow. There's like There's like good priests. There's other good priests. The church goes on. So if the priest is too conservative, too liberal, or he's dysfunctional, or he drinks too much, the church is going to go on. It's, it's, you don't have to worry about it, you know? Wow. That, that is powerful. That, that, that's what I'm talking about, the Holy Spirit taking over. That is powerful. And especially, it's timely for what we're going through right now as a church. Right. Very divided. Right. Many people confused. Many people angry. And we're not only talking about possible dissent, you know, or dissent, not possible, but dissent on the left. I'm even starting to hear things that I've never heard about before, about dissent on the right. Right, that's right. That there are certain camps that are so upset with the you know the leadership or with the pope that they are almost kind of they're more eastern orthodox than they are roman catholic they're very conservative traditional love the church love christ but technically possibly are are really starting to kind of dissent from even what you know the the the, the of the magisterium of the church because of certain things that are going on right now. And I wasn't really, really, really aware of that. I don't read, you know, church politics every day or what this, stuff. I don't, I just don't have the time to read every, you know, papal, papal bull that comes out. Maybe I should papal letter apostolic, you know, maybe I should, I, maybe I should, or, but there, there are people that do. And sometimes I maybe just read an article, uh, you know, from somebody that I trust and, I, you know, and I'm believing that what's in that article. And maybe I'm not even actually checking with the actual, you know, Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, that document, what it actually read and doing the research myself, you know. So I, I had an episode, and we don't have to talk about it, but, you know, last week about, you know. Um, yeah, I watched it, yeah. Uh, uh, it uh, yeah, about the transgender, the, the CDF's right. response to right. the dubia on the transgender baptism, on the removal of Bishop Strickland, on the German bishops, Pope Francis. And, um, it, it, yeah, it, was, it challenged me. It challenged me because I would I would think only maybe dissent on the left, but I never really thought about dissent on the right, and it, it, it challenged me. I haven't fully processed it yet because it's so recent. But anyway, the the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there are a lot of people right now that are you know maybe they don't like their bishop, they don't like their pope, they mm -hmm. 
they don't like uh, the Pope's appointments or they don't like, you know, and, and they're, they're freaking out. Yeah. And instead of just loving their mother, the church, yeah, right. even if they think she's be, be acting, behaving badly, um, they're not just fully loving, but maybe talking terribly about and possibly going against. I'm thinking out loud. I've never had a conversation like this before, but what you said brought that up because, and it also it makes me think of the people that are just scandalized by some of the, the criminal, horrendous, horrible, disgusting, right. vile, demonic things that have happened in the church, right. especially the clergy abuse crisis that a lot of people have left the church over or don't want to come back to the church because of that. And, and, but you're saying even, you know, but that, that, that is not who our mother is, right. you know, there may be some bad apples, right. horrible things, yeah. but the church will go on. Uh, the Holy spirit will always, I mean, we've been through unbelievably horrible things in 2000 years history, unbelievable scandal, um, some serious confusion, but we're still here. That's right. You know, I'm a mess. That's why I started this in a sense, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. why God chose me. There's so many a million, million things that I mean, I, I have no qualifications, right? To just be a, a priest, whatever that means. I would have never thought in a million years. And I, I struggle with it all the time, but to learn that God loves me in my mess completely, totally. Right. And God loves you in your mess. And ho ho holiness is only possible in a messy world. Holiness is only possible, and the church functions in a terribly messy world. That's right. But, um, Uncle Matt, how with what's going on right now in the church, a lot of confusion. Um, what what are we what do we make of this? How can we remain faithful? How can we keep going? How can we not leave? You know what's you said that you have a lot of hope when we spoke in the car, you have a lot of hope. That's There's right. a lot of things going on right now. It's chaos crisis in the church crisis in the world. But you said that you're filled with a lot of hope. What do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me share this Thursday mornings. Now, Marilyn, my wife and I, we go in volunteer in the hospital down where we live. We live in Bradley beach at the Jersey shore and the uh, Jersey shore university Hackensack hospital. And the, the chaplain, a wonderful woman named Reverend Cindy Wilcox, welcomed us in, and um, she asked us to visit the sick. So we go to two awards. One is the cardiac, the heart floor. But anyway, it's amazing. So we walk in, and I say, you know, Matt and Mary, Maracy, and we're spiritual care, pastoral care, just up in the sea. How are you doing? And if we can offer some spiritual help prayers. And how are you doing? Father Paul today. And then, you know, they talk, and it's amazing. 90% at least of the people welcome the prayer. Some of them enthusiastically, like, I can't believe you came in here. You're an angel. Um, maybe 10% say no thanks. So this is, so it's almost always 50% Roman Catholic, you know, because New Jersey, it's about 50%. Mm. So down to Jersey Shore. Because we, we have a list, you know, their age and their, their so, um, but as you know, like most Catholics aren't practicing, you know, so we, we bring Holy Communion, but we don't just give it out to everybody. We like, 
feel if somebody's practicing their faith, you know, we offer to, but the, but the point I'm getting at is 90% of the people, most of them are not practicing religion and all different faiths really welcome the prayer. Even like one, one, one man was Muslim and I know like I really can't pray with him. Like, you know, theologically it's a big difference here. And, uh, but he had a serious look and a sort of a serious, a little intimidating look, but I think he was suffering and sad and in pain. And I just said, uh, how about we share a moment of a silent prayer? And he said, yes, I just closed my eyes. I didn't even say anything, you know? And then when I opened my eyes and looked at him and he was so grateful, a Muslim man. I find the Jews are the most receptive. Most of them are secular or reformed Jews. But one case, we, we got to the door and I see it's, you know, Orthodox, Hasidic Jew, young man in his 30s with an older man, maybe my age, but he's either asleep or in a coma. So I didn't even walk into the door because I know they have their own world and, you know, they're not real ecumenical, you know. So I just said, hi, I just wanted to say, we're spiritual care, see how, how, how it's going, you know. So he smiles nicely and, and jumps up and comes over and we get talking. And then he says uh, to me, he says, I'm a member of a 12-step group and blah, blah, blah. So I said to him, wow, you practice your Jewish faith and you practice the 12 steps. You're in really good shape. And he got so happy. He goes, you just gave me a blessing. And then we said the serenity prayer together for his father-in-law. Yeah. And it's very interesting. My wife and I are both a little nervous because you're walking in and they didn't invite you in. You don't know what you're walking into, but the people are so welcoming. And even even the better thing is the people who say no thanks or I'm okay. And we just say, fine, that's great. Well, I hope you're feeling better. Almost most of the time, more than 50% of them will then say, but thanks for stopping in, or I appreciate what you're doing. I admire what you're doing, you know. It was like they're giving us a blessing. Yeah. You know? It's not just like don't bother me. It's like I can't, it's more like I can't pray, but God bless you because what, what you're doing, you know. Mm. And so my point here is the numbers are bad. Everything's, you know, you read the newspaper, it's all bad news. Church news, all bad news. But people on the ground, there's a lot of faith out there. Like I wrote a, I wrote a blog essay maybe six months ago. The world I live in, it's not post-Christendom. The people, the women in my, the women that live in my home, in my homes, yeah. we had homes, and the women that come in, almost all of them have faith. I've, I've dealt with hundreds of women. I can only think of one atheist. I mean, she didn't come out and say it, but it'd be pretty clear. Yeah. And the black women, forget it. The black women, their faith is amazing. Right. And they're like, they, they put it right to you. The Lord is, is right away, like they're talking about prayer. So, and the people that support us, and even even like the social workers, most of whom are probably pretty liberal, maybe secular, but they have so much faith, not faith, they have so much love. That, and, and people love um, that I'm married 53 years, you know. In other words, people I relate with, now when I read my journals, when I read the New York Times, then I'm in culture war mode, you know? Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, when I read my journals and I think that I'm in culture war mode, in other words, the, the, the higher elites. But on the ground, you don't, you're not experiencing that. On the that. ground, people have faith. 
people yeah. want to. So the person in the, in the in the hospital, they're not you know in the hospital bed. They're not upset. You know, they're not like. I'm so angry that you know a bishop got taken out of no, ministry. It never came up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, all these They're men, not, it's, it's never come up like the church is. The women that you're serving in these homes for for them, they're not like, well, you know, I don't understand this dubia that just came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. interesting. I, I see so much faith and love, and uh, yeah, like one one little lady, little tiny, little cute little, she's about eighty years old. And at, at first they were busy, so but then there's no come. So she was so happy. She was when we finished praying. She was like, "I'm so filled up. I'm so filled up." So her story is devout Catholic Italian family. Her mother was very devout. She was very devoted to Blessed Mother. She says one day she looked at the crucifix and she said, "Jesus, I don't even know you. I want to get to know you." What happens next is she finds herself going to Protestant churches, evangelical churches. Comes to know Jesus, Lord and Savior, reading the book. So now she's like sort of like ex-Catholic, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, evangelical, but she loves Jesus. And my wife was talking to her a little bit like, well, Mary, you know, no, we don't, you know, Mary brings us to Jesus. Yeah. Because her experience was everything was Mary as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Jesus and God were distant. But anyway, my point is, now this is one of those numbers that, you know, left, left the church. Okay. But she didn't leave the church. She loves the Lord, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she loves us. She wanted us to pray, her and her husband. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and so um, I, 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 see, I see all this faith. And, I mean, yeah, the numbers are, are bad, but the reality is not empirically. You know, you can't measure it, you know? Yeah. What God is really doing, he doesn't do it in such a way you can measure it. Yeah, so, but, so when you get into this, cultural crisis mode though. Cause that's also important, right? Yeah. It's not just like the one on the ground, you know, people are living, you know, their faith or whatever, and certain things aren't bothering them. And then there's just this other stuff going on in academia. I would say, would you say that maybe both are, are important and both need to be addressed Yeah. or can, or combining the two in some way? I'm just, I'm just trying to think of how to make practical sense out of this. So what gets you going when you're reading these articles or these journals? One thing that is, is very strong in my heart is my grandchildren, mm. that they grow up with the faith. With the faith, yeah. That's like my number one. I mean, my children, thank God, and, and their spouse, they have great, I have great son was. Um, so this is a major blessing, like that my children practice the faith and my grandchildren. So, um, so I've been writing letters to my grandchildren, and I just put them on my, and then they can read them and they can, and, and they're not. Yeah. But, oh, you put them on your blog. I put them on my blog. Okay. Yeah. So, because there is things to worry about, right? There is there 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 is a well, there is there is chaos. There, there is a culture war. Yeah. But I'm very proud of my grandchildren. Hi, hi out there, Bridget and and uh, Matthew and Catherine. So Bridget is a. I'm going to brag a little bit. Good. Go ahead, Brad. This out if you want. Uh, brag. So Come on. Is, Bridget is at Columbia University. And she's a good runner. And she's a serious student, very hard worker, bright. But she's part of the community liberation, which we discussed. Really? So she goes downtown about once a week and meets with this little group. And community liberation is very like, you know a little bit about it. It's like, kind of, it's out of Italy. It's sophisticated. It's kind of intellectual. It's kind of cool. And it's perfect for an Ivy League student. Like if I'm really going to do a crusade with Ivy League student, 
I might not bring them to a charismatic meeting, you know, but I would bring them to community liberation. Yeah. So she's doing very well. Good. And, and, and she's navigating in a very secular world. And then Matthew is, is also running. He's at Fordham. And then Catherine is a senior. And she's surprisingly very interested in like the strong Catholic identity schools. Mm. Like she went to Thomas Aquinas College. Um, she's looking at things like Ave Maria, Christendom, Stumerville. You know, you know, like the Newman. Thing yeah, yeah, about, sure, yeah. About twenty, like the solid Catholic. She wants like she wants like the classics. She wants to read. Like, Who's this? This is Catherine. Okay. Uh, so Catherine wants serious. You know. She wants serious Catholic stuff, hardcore. Sure. Yeah, hardcore, yeah. But I'm thrilled that there's, you know, the different worlds, like Ivy League, you know, Fordham, Jesuits, okay. this one. So um, I'm very excited about my children. But yeah, I write to them. Some, some of it I write to them because our Catholic faith is under attack by elite culture, liberal culture. So that's that's partly, but also my mind, like I'm, I'm in like an argumentative mood. You know, sure. Not with you, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what can help us solve the, the crisis or to fight it? Because we are meant to, we're not just meant to be passive. Um, we're not just meant to just merely turn the other cheek and just kind of let this, you know, the, the, the lies of the enemy, you know, take over. You know, we are meant to, you know, to fight for our faith, of course, with love, with truth, which we, you know, with, with compassion, but we are, we are meant to, to, to fight for our faith. When, when Jesus said to Peter, he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail. So th that doesn't mean that our gates, you know, the gates of the church, the gate shall, shall not prevail. It means that we are on the offensive. That's right. The gates of hell shall not prevail That's right. against the church. We are on the now. We're on the offensive with truth, with love, with goodness, with beauty, or whatever. But uh, do you want to speak to any particular crisis that 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 can be addressed, or you know something that 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 we need to learn more about, something that we can help more? You know, how could we be a part of the solution? How could we fight? You know, as faithful prayer warriors, as the church militant. You know, um, do you have any thoughts on that whatsoever? So my program is very simple. I need to grow closer to Christ in prayer and holiness, in the sacraments, in private prayer, read my Magnificat, pray, constant dialogue with God, driving my car, I'm doing my litanies, I'm praying for my grandchildren, I'm praying to the saints, reading, praying with my wife. I need to grow in holiness, and as I grow in holiness, Christ, Holy Spirit will guide me and I will be doing good works all over the place, not even having to plan it out. It's just going to happen. You see what I mean? Yeah. The power of Holy Spirit. So not to focus too much on, on, the, on, on the culture where we, although I focus on a lot because I'm, I'm like a philosopher, so I like to argue. Yeah. But the thing is, the holiness, growing in the Holy Spirit, the only thing I can really control is my relationship with Christ. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, I can I can receive his the graces he wants. I want to receive like sometimes I pray dilute dilate my heart, Lord, make it make my heart huge. I want to receive all the graces. I don't want to receive like this many graces. If he wants to give me this many graces, yeah, I want to receive this many, not this many. And 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 so therefore we should be really um, as, as as Catholics we should be with the sacraments, with the Word of God constantly feeding us, with the like even like talking with you. Like this has been fun for me. Like. 
it hasn't been so much talking to the public about it. Like, yeah. Talking together. So I go away from this conversation strengthened. So we can be very bold and confident and hopeful and not that much worried even about the divisions in the church. Yeah. That's, that's the way I look at it. Focus on our personal holiness. Yeah. Focus. That's right. Focus on my life with Christ because he wants to, I mean, he wants me to, he wants to bless, he wants me to bless you and my family and my CCD class yeah. and my homes and, and the people I visit. He wants to use me. Yeah. He wants me. He needs me. He wants me. So I want to be available to him. And not get too upset with, you know, what's going on in the church or who's on the Supreme Court or, you know. No, I mean, even though that matters, it, it does matter. It's not nothing, right? Yeah, and you matter. do things about. It. I mean, you that's write right. about these issues, that's right. right? That's yeah. right. I do. Are yeah. you hoping that some of your writings about these things help people or, or make a change? Well, I love what I write. <laughs> yeah, I love my stuff. But my feeling is like I put it out there. That's why I love my blog. I put it out there. I'm not forcing. I'm not like I'm handing you a book. Here, you got to read my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if there's anything valuable there. People are going to pick it up. Yeah. Um, maybe my grandkids will read it 10 years from now. Or, or, or you know, when, I, when it's, I'm blocked by the shows, like there's somebody in Russia reading my stuff. There's some guy in Russia reading my blog. There's a guy in Russia that shows in that map. Yeah, you know? I get that with my So my, my, like, I just hope to get it out there. And then it's there. And uh, if there's anything valuable, it's like somebody once said to me, like, it's like putting milk out for kitty. You put the milk out and then you walk away. And you know you, you don't go grab kitty and say drink your milk, you put the milk out for kitty, and then later on you see oh I see kitty drank half of her milk you know, you but know one thing in particular that you've you've we've spoken about a little bit and if you want to talk about more is, um a crisis of masculinity, you know it's it's something that 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 you've brought up and I think uh, that it's something that that just really needs to be addressed because it's not talking about the crisis of masculinity masculinity is not not talking about the church or the things of God, uh, I think they go hand in hand. And um, I, I think that'll come out. Uh, but why did you think that that might be a, an important topic to, to address and to talk about? I seem to run into a lot of young women who can't find a good man. Women like in their 30s, say. And I think our society is in a crisis. I think the number one problem in our society is the crisis of masculinity the number one number one to number me, one to okay me. because young men are young men are not being they, they're, they're not being given an itinerary of formation into into paternity into fatherhood where they will they have within themselves the confidence and the virtue to, to to marry to be a father to give life so what i think what happens is i think it started in the 60s I mean, my father's generation, they were men. They were real men. The world I grew up in, I, I was surrounded by uncles, my father's friends. Most of them were veterans from World War II. These were men. And just to be around them, I think I breathed in, you know, some virility, just to, you know, just to be around my father yeah. and my uncles. Yeah. And, and then the 60s, the chaos of the 60s, um, the militant feminism, the sexual revolution and the whole, uh, uh, we've lost even a sense of what masculinity is, 
what what is like like they said like what is a woman? Well, what is a man? So what is a man? A man in in, in the final analysis is a father. You're a father. I call you Father Paul. I'm, I'm I could be your father, right? You're the age of my children, but I call you father because you're a father. You're a priest. You're a father. I'm a father. That my 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 deepest nature. Everything I do, like with the women, with my teaching, I'm a father, and every man is destined to be a father. But masculinity is so different from femininity. Femininity is very largely instinctive and natural. A, a, a young woman flower, if she's somewhat loved and protected, she flowers into this beautiful plant almost, mm. almost naturally. It's not an achievement. But a, a young man, it's a very torturous itinerary journey. He has to be disciplined, held accountable, encouraged. He needs exercises and he needs camaraderie with his other peers. He needs to be patted on the back. But he needs to be reprimanded. And what happened is we took a pile, we went into this neutered personhood, you know, where everybody's the same. Oh, you're a good person. Oh, he's a good person. No, he's a good, he's a man. Or, or she's a woman. So we, we we've taken apart these these um these the, the, the training for manhood. So the young men, they're not being, it's not their fault. They're not being formed or trained or challenged or corrected. So they they go either they become thugs or they become wimps. And and, and so they're they're not getting married. A lot a lot of men, what I noticed is you know, a lot of young women in college and afterwards, they're very focused on career. My daughters, my 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 nieces. Teacher, psychologist, nurse, whatever it is. So many young men are adrift career-wise. Mm. A lot of them, they're, not, they're living with their, their girlfriends. They're cohabitating. They're contracepting. Mm. They're, they're, they're away from the church. And um, it's like perpetual adolescence, you know, like friends. You know, it's like Seinfeld and friends. Like they're just, they're yeah. in this no man's and They're not kids, but they're not adults. What's going on here? Yeah. So so we, 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 we need to um, figure out ways why is that? Our parents' generation, they came up through the Depression, real hardship, and then a war. And they were forged, the men were forged in the crucible of suffering and combat and death. And we were, we grew up in privilege. And I think we're spoiled. I think the boomer generation is a spoiled generation. And then, of course, you have the sexual revolution and drugs and... Um, they're doing away with gender differences. Mm. You know, we're all the same. And I think it was just a pervasive culture breakdown. And then it was like, and then it was like, I use the word, I still like the word liberal. I, I, I'm not going to use it, but I'm going to use the word progressive. That there was this progressive sense that there's a change. We're better than the past, you know, like Vatican II changed everything, you know, and, and science is everything, you know. Oh no, we have science now. We're going to solve all the problems. So there's breaks. So, so, so instead of taking from our parents, from our fathers in particular, breathing in their masculinity, mm. we went into like dependence on science and sexual liberation. Yeah. So I think it's it's, it's like a almost. I mean, I think the cultural of the '60s was the most successful diabolical strategy. Since the Garden of Eden. Wow. That's kind of a sweeping generalization. 
Wow. <laughs> but I think so. Our society, you know. Well, it's connected directly to the Garden of Eden where he created us man and woman. Right. Where there was original harmony, original unity, original peace, and original nakedness. Yeah. You know, um, uh, where we learned about the different roles even really, you know, different but equal. You know, some of that happened, though, the, the specific roles of after the fall, actually, now that I think about it in Genesis 3. But, um, yeah, the, the 60, and it's like, by their fruit you shall know them. Was this, you know, the fruit of the 60s, you know, uh, yeah. effective? No, it just it, it didn't bear fruit. It, it bare, bore a lot of nuts, yes. you know, and it, it, it infiltrated the church, too. I mean, even Pope Paul VI said that the smoke of Satan has entered the cracks of the church. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so is there, but all right, so you talk about masculinity, is there any crisis of femininity, femininity? Well, there is, there is, I'm not going to call it crisis of femininity. I think there's a tremendous attack on femininity. Okay. Attack. It's, yes. It's, I like attack on femininity. It takes a different form, but women are more resilient. Mm. Like the male is a more frail, fragile, vulnerable creature. If he doesn't get the right training. He's in trouble. Women are more, it's like a, it's like a plant. Like I like hostas, you know, hostas, these are plants. You just plant them and they grow. I don't know the name of any plants. I don't know too many too, but but think of a plant that like, it needs very little water, a little bit of water, a little bit of sun and it grows. So women have this resiliency about them Mm. in my experience, but the, but the Christ in femininity is this attack upon the woman's self-worth. And uh, especially Jonathan Haidt, there's this guy, Jonathan Haidt, right? He's a psychologist. He's got a lot of about, uh, apparently about about 2010, about 12 years ago, the numbers for teenage girls, mental health problems, shot up like crazy. And the self-harm, mental illness, um, you know, hospitalizations, visits, it's like, it shot up. It has a lot to do with the internet. And the self-image of the internet. Yeah, but my opinion is it goes back to the contraceptive revolution. Okay, because with the, with the contraception, of course, we split sex away from uh, having children. That was like like diabolical. The word means etymology: tear apart. Yeah. So contraception tears sex sexuality from procreation. Yeah, it separates it. and. Uh, and I, I think I think the woman was sort of neutered by that, and and she was t- t- her, her sense of herself as either a mother or potentially a mother. So now we have a, a young woman when when she goes through this very rapid puberty where she changes very quickly, you know, uh, all of a sudden her body's changing, and she's asking about her value, and I think it's implicit in our culture, in the conscious of culture, that motherhood is like. An option. It's a sideline. It's not central. There's a fatherhood isn't central. Mother is central. So she she evaluates herself as valuable if she's productive, successful, smart, or attractive, popular. Um, and 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 therefore the attack upon femininity is different. I mean, it's but it's not it's not as devastating because the father like without the, the father's role is to image God. That the, the man is always representative. I write a lot about that. The man is the man's role. Like you represent Christ. That's what you do. You represent Christ as a priest. 
especially to my children, but, but even to the women and even to my students, I'm a, I'm a father figure. I represent in someone's God. Whereas a, a mother doesn't represent God the Father. The mother is her own entity. And therefore, she, like, like Mary doesn't represent God the Father. Mary works with God the Father yeah. and, and bring Jesus into the world. Joseph is not the father, but he represents the father. Yeah. And yet Mary is the the mother of the living, the the archetype of the church, the model of the church, the mother of our Savior. Um, women have such an important, unbelievably, un, undeniably significant role in humanity, in salvation. I mean, every single one of us mm. exists, has been brought into the world, you know, by a woman. You know? To get back on the on the, the the crisis of masculinity thing, all right. So that's there's this crisis, but what's the solution to it? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, what is this? If this is the number one crisis in our world right now, in our church, then what's the solution? How can we be transformed, renewed? How can men become men again? Yeah. Well, I think it would be great to have like training in Christ-like virility. Like my son teaches at Don Bosco Prep. My son, my son-in-law, um, he, he 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 works over at Xavier, um, Jesuit, and, 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 and so these are all boys' schools. But yeah. but even so, I, I think we need to um, focus energies on training young men in the core virtues. What I consider the core virtues of virility. Not that women don't need these also, but they're more important. They're, they're essential for men. Okay. And number one is humility. Yep. Because the male ego is so expansive. We're all such narcissists. Humility is number one. Number two is chastity. Because our sexuality is usually a, an unholy mess, more often than not. Yep. We have to address that. I don't think Catholic schools in general use the word chastity enough and really talk about it. The word chastity. Terrified. They're terrified to talk about it with kids. I was I was talking to these two guys on the street corner one time. You usually speak to people on the street corner? Well, these are two friends. Okay. And, and so, <laughs> well, that's different. So I, I, I talked about this guy. A friend of mine, Dave O'Brien, used to come into our confirmation retreats and give about, I said a retreat about, it would give a retreat about being chased. Being chased. Yeah. Being chased. He says, cool, man, cool, being chased. He goes, that sounds good. That's cool, man. He says, being chased, you mean like, what do you mean? You mean like being chased by the police? <laughs> <laughs> so chastity, humility, chastity, fortitude. A man needs to be strong. Mm. A woman could be like a little bit like, a little bit anxious, a little. Yeah. But it's not a tremendous loss to her maternity, her femininity. Yeah. If she's a little bit like timid or something. Yeah. But, uh, but a man has got to be strong, gentle mm. but strong. And then uh, I, I believe that uh, sobriety. Okay. I don't mean just sober from alcohol, and, but I mean sober from like, sober from anger, sober from Ouch. anxiety. That's hard for me, man. <laughs> I mean emotional sobriety. Um, oh, then, that's a tall, yeah. Emotional sobriety. And then uh, uh, the next one that I have on my list is um, prudence. 
the sober man will be prudent, you know, wise in, in, in practical ways and just do the right thing. Like Joseph was just. So See my, the model for masculinity? Yeah, Joseph. St. Joseph? St. Joseph, yeah. That's if you right. want to do one thing, get close to St. Joseph. Do there the you, consecration of St. Joseph. That's what I'm talking about. 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 I'm not kidding. I wanted you on here because um, I just think that you're a fascinating man. Um, and I don't, and I, and I, I do look up to you. I, I, I trust you. Um, when I think of a, of a, of a Catholic man, a faithful on fire, um, humble, uh, you, and you've been a good friend to me. You've really been there for me in times of crisis and in, in serious crisis. You've been there for me greatly. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just grateful for the gift of, of who you are. And, you know, maybe this flattery will make you feel uncomfortable, but I just mean it. I'm grateful for the gift of who you are. Um, and even though we don't get together a lot and I take a very long time to return your phone calls, <laughs> I have always felt the exact same about you as I always have. And I think that you're a gift to the church. And I just wanted people, honestly, to, to get to know you and who you are a little bit. And hopefully they'll start reading your blogs and, and your thoughts and, um, and things like that. But, uh, and I know there's so many things that we, we didn't talk about, um, you know, but um, it doesn't have to be the last time that you're on here. Um, and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that you're a part of my mess. <laughs> For I think I understand a little bit now why after you shared that story about what your the priest said when you were like 17 years old, I think I understand why you've uh, still love me after all the <laughs> after all the after all the the crap that that I've come to you with and that you've seen in my own life, uh, you know. And uh, man, I'm so grateful for that priest. I gotta start praying to him. Um, so yeah, and um, all right. So we'll 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 put the Fleckstein dot blogspot.com on here and, and all that other stuff. Uh, but Matt Laracy, Matthew Laracy, Uncle Matt Laracy, God bless you. Thanks for being a guest on A Holy Mess. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for your contributions to the church, uh, your mind, your heart, and your spirit. That's what I'm talking That's about, brother. Talking about. All right, God bless. Peace out. Love you. Uh, talk to you soon. Come back, share the episode, make this go viral, make this man famous so that he's doing an interview with Bishop Robert Barron on Word on Fire and, you know, being featured in, you know, heavy, you know, communio and communal liberation articles. Have you ever had anything published in one of those? No, not in those. No, not, not in those? Not there, no. All right. Somebody out there. Okay, let's, let's, let's get this guy out there. All right. He, he deserves to be up there. Maybe he should be a part of the Synod. You, you should. Pope Francis. <laughs> Pope Francis. No, you, <laughs> we need you there. We need you there to vote. We need you there, brother. Maybe we should have talked about more about that. We should have. I mean, we, you know, we could be. All right. So anyway. All right. God bless. Peace. Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. 
Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album Red Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace! Yeah!